0: Let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number one. Philippians chapter one. We've been in a series in the book of Philippians now for some time on Sunday mornings. And just finishing up the first chapter, this short book is so packed with truth. And I don't want to rush through it because I think there are things that that the Lord would have for us Uh, as we study this book of the Bible together. The book of Philippians is primarily uh, an encouragement, a book of encouragement to rejoice in the Lord and to be joyful on this journey that we're on in Christ. And the ironic part about that is it's being written uh, by the hand of Paul as he is a prisoner. He calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. He's in bonds most likely in Rome, and he's writing to a church of <clears throat> free people telling them how they ought to have the joy of the Lord, which is really amazing, isn't it? Because our rejoicing is not in our circumstances, our rejoicing is in the Lord, and he never changes. And so regardless of the circumstances, we can have stability, we can have joy because we serve the God of the Bible. So we're in the book of Philippians. If you've reached it, let's stand together as we honor God's word and read this morning. We're going to begin in verse 27. That's where we left off last week was verse 27, but just for the sake of context, we're going to read this. Paul says here to the church at Philippi, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only... To believe on him but also to suffer for his sake. having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. I want to preach to you this morning on a subject that maybe we don't talk about enough, but it's responding to persecution, responding to persecution. let's have a word of prayer uh, as we get into the message this morning. Our Father today. We open Your Word once again in need of Your help. We need Your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth as we seek to rightly divide Your Word. Uh, Father, we want to make sure that we understand what Your Word says and what You are saying to us through the pages of Scripture. And Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would make that known to us. But then, Lord, we need not only to understand intellectually what this book says but we need to understand how it applies in our lives and we need your help and your grace to apply it in our lives day to day and so would you help us now in these next few moments as we look into your word to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in your word teach us your truth encourage our hearts strengthen us father convict us where necessary And we ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Isn't it amazing that as Christians, we have cause to rejoice, to walk in the joy of the Lord at all times, at all seasons. We find ourselves often in times of trial and difficulty and tribulation. I know without a doubt that there are folks who sit here in this room this morning that are walking through some valleys in your life, and I just want to encourage you in something today. You can rejoice if you know the Lord, because God is always good, and you can always have joy and confidence in Him. Now with that being said, I also want to say that I fear that often we have a very misguided view of what it means to be a Christian. Many times we present the gospel in such a way that to the untrained ear it may come across as though the message is if you will accept Christ as your Savior, you'll have all your sins forgiven, you'll have a home in heaven, and all of your problems will go away. Now the first part of that is true. If you'll receive Christ as your Savior, He comes into your life, He forgives your sins, He cleanses you from all sin. You have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God and you have the absolute assurance that when you die, you will go to be with the Lord in heaven. You're blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We talked about that in Sunday school. But I want you to know that the Bible picture of the Christian life or the life of a disciple of Christ is often different than what we see portrayed or often will portray in our modern day. You see, Jesus spoke of discipleship as something that was associated with cost and difficulty. In fact, I want you to hold your place in Philippians and go back with me, if you would, to the Gospels, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 14. And what we find here is that Jesus begins to describe to his followers what it means to be a disciple of Christ, or maybe I should say what it will cost you to be a true disciple of Christ. There is a cost associated with discipleship. I want you to notice that in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, the Bible says here, "...and there went great multitudes with him." And he turned and said unto them. Now here's the interesting thing. And we see this a few times in Jesus' ministry that uh, multitudes would follow him and he always had a way of kind of giving them some truth that would cause them or cause many of them to leave and depart. And Jesus really uh, wasn't uh, like your modern day mega church pastor that's just looking Uh, to get as many people as he possibly can. Uh, That wasn't his goal. Jesus wasn't looking for superficial followers. He was looking for committed disciples. And so as these multitudes are following him, he turns to them, and here's what he says, verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters... Yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What's he saying here? He's saying that if you want to be a disciple of Christ, you have to understand that it may cost you your relationships with the people in life that are most important to you. To stand for Christ, to stand for truth, to follow what is right... May cost you. Maybe it won't cost you the relationship in, in the sense that you have a falling out. But it might be as you follow the Lord that he will call you away from your family and your friends and familiar surroundings. It may be that as you follow the Lord, there are going to be certain things that happen along the way where there is a test between who are, where do your loyalties lie. And Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to determine once and for all that following me is more important to you than any other relationship. And you must determine that following me is more important to you even than your own very life. And then he said this, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He said, For which of you, intending to build the tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, that all that behold him begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple so what Jesus is saying is this listen you you're following me and you're probably thinking about all the good things and all the blessings that will come by being a disciple of Christ but here's what you have to know if you are going to be my disciple it is going to cost you you have to be willing to die to yourself to die to your desires and in the same way that you would not start a building project without taking the time to count the cost or you would not go to war without really doing an evaluation of your abilities, you need to be sure that if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, that you're ready for the cost that comes with it. Folks, I want you to know, while it is certainly true, the blessings associated with salvation and being a disciple of Christ are innumerable. But don't let that Fool you into believing that somehow there is no cost, no price to being a Christian. There is. What happens sadly is that when, when a watered down gospel is preached, when, <clears throat> when the only thing that is promoted is, hey, you need to get saved and you need to follow Christ so that you can have everything your heart ever desired, essentially. When that's the message, what happens is either, number one, people don't get saved... Because they're really not looking for a relationship with Christ. They're simply looking for an escape from the consequences of sin. Or they do get saved, but they are, when hardship comes, they melt under the pressure. They compromise, they give in because they haven't taken the time to count the cost. Maybe even wonder, well, why would God allow me to face what I'm facing? The Bible says in First Peter chapter four and verse 12, "Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. When you're following the Lord, when you're walking in obedience to God, and hard times come, don't think that that's something strange or out of the ordinary. Boy. How did this happen? I mean, I'm, and I've heard this so many times. I'm trying to do everything right. I'm trying to follow the Lord. I don't understand why he would allow this difficulty to come into my life. A friend, understand this. That's not a strange thing. If you're a disciple of Christ, you can bank on it. Hard times are going to come. There will be challenges. There will be trials. There will be, even at times, persecution. There will be resistance and opposition To what the Lord is trying to do in your life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 12. Yea and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. Shall suffer persecution. In verse number 30 of our our text. In the book of Philippians. Paul said it this way. Having the same conflict which you saw in me. And now here to be in me. In other words when this comes to you. Understand it happened to me first. (laughs) You see it in other Christians around the world, 1 Peter 5 and verse number 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. This is a common thing. Friend, listen, I've heard for my entire life, uh, you know, boy, the rapture has to happen before persecution comes. I've heard that my entire life. Now, I believe biblically that the rapture happens before the beginning of the great tribulation. But that doesn't mean that the rapture comes before persecution. And if you think it does, I want you to go talk to some Christians in China, or North Korea, or in the Middle East today, or who lived under the Soviet Union. I mean, let me just tell you, persecution has been in existence, and it's been around since the time of Christ. Christ himself was put to death. ...for speaking the truth. And his disciples were put to death. His apostles were martyred for the faith. I'm just saying, it's not like... you know We've got this this flowery view oftentimes... ...that, well, we're just here... ...we're just living this great life... ...there's no problem, there's no pressure... ...and then the Lord's going to call us home... ...before the difficulties come. That's not the reality, folks. There are hardships associated. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here... ...but I want you to know that it is very possible that in your lifetime and in my lifetime, there might be a very real price for standing for truth. To the point of perhaps losing your job. Losing your home. Perhaps being imprisoned, losing your freedom. Or even physically assaulted or even put to death. That is a possibility in your lifetime and in mine. These things have happened since the beginning of the Christian faith. But I want you to know that according to our passage here in Philippians chapter 1, we do not have to fear the price that we might have to pay for our faith. Notice where we started kind of in verse number 28. Notice this. He says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. I want to show you in verse 28 that there is to be perseverance in suffering. Look, He says, I want to encourage you that even though you will face persecution, you will face problems and opposition by your adversaries, you don't need to be terrified by that. In nothing terrified by your adversaries. They were to expect that hard times would come, but they were to press on in joy, not in fear. There was a time in my life, especially as a younger Christian, where I really feared the possibility of persecution. I I remember seeing, listening to preaching uh, about like end times events and things that were going to be happening, and I remember this like... Just unsettled feeling in my stomach. Boy, I hope I don't ever have to face that, you know? And and I remember seeing some uh, Christian films and things like that about what the world might look like just before the rapture and and thought, oh no, this is, you know, I I just get all kind of concerned and worried about that. I used to fear those things. But notice that Paul's saying, "Don't don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid of the opposition that you'll face by your adversaries. Remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We can press on, again, the context of Philippians, with joy and rejoicing in nothing terrified by our adversaries. But notice this also, not only perseverance and suffering, but I want you to notice that there's proof of suffering. He says in verse 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. We're going to get into that in just a moment. I want you to notice, though, the fact that as Christians press on with joy in the face of persecution, of opposition, in the face of difficulties, this is evidence, it's proof Of two things. First of all, it is proof that our persecutors are on the wrong side. Notice what he says. He says, In nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. I want to encourage you, if you ever get a chance, to uh, get a copy of two different books. I'm sure you're familiar at least with one of them. The first one is Fox's Book of Martyrs. Anybody ever heard of that? Anybody ever read that before? I want you to, to, to get a copy of it and read it. It's fascinating. The other one is called Martyr's Mirror. One of the things that, that fascinates me about these books, it's these accounts of our forefathers in the faith who died for their faith. Some were killed simply for naming the name of Christ. Some were killed for uh, refusing to submit to the the baptism of Rome. Some were were killed uh, for their stand on the Bible or trying to translate the Bible uh, into other languages, such as English. We find that some of these people were killed for their faith. And you read accounts of these people who were, were killed in brutal ways and burned at the stake and these types of things, and yet... They left this life, they perished, singing the praises of God. How is that possible? Well, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. But but what is that? That's also a testimony, is it not? That's a witness against the persecutors. That this is a person who has something that is real and tangible in their life. And listen, if you're a child of God, if you're saved, That ought to be something that is very real in your life. And if it's not real to you, you ought to really be asking yourself, what's wrong? Why is this not real? If I actually have, if I know the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior, and I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of me, why is this not something that is real to me? I'll tell you that those who died for their faith, it was real to them. And that was a testament, it was a witness against their persecutors. You see, there is coming a time. The testimony of, of uh, your testimony in the face of persecution is a witness against the persecutors, that they are on the road to destruction. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Can I encourage you in something this morning, Christian friend? If you have been wronged, if you have been mistreated, if you have been falsely accused, if you have been overlooked uh, uh, unjustly, just know this, there is coming a day when God is going to set all of that straight And the truth is going to come out. And the things that were hidden in darkness are going to be brought to light. And the Bible says, then shall every man have praise of God. You see, in this world, in this life, things so often are not as they seem. And we find uh, that we can be fooled into believing things that are not true... And so sometimes people get praised that ought not to be praised. And people get put down that ought not to be put down. But the truth is that one day God's going to come and He's going to set all of that straight. And every injustice is going to be brought to light. And we ought to be able to take hope in that. And be thankful for that. The second thing that is a testimony that comes out of persevering with joy through persecution and through suffering... ...is that you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. That's proven out. Look at what he says. Verse 28... "...and in nothing terrified by your adversaries... ...which is to them an evident token of perdition." This is a witness against them. But look at this... "...but to you of salvation and that of God." In other words, the fact that that a Christian can persevere in joy even when they're persecuted, even when they're suffering, this is evidence that what you have is real. It is a token of salvation. You see, salvation is actually proven out in our lives. Not only because of an instant where we made a profession of faith, that's the moment of salvation. But the proof of our salvation is seen in the evidence that's borne out in our lives. The fruit that comes as a result. If you are a child of God, it's going to show up in your life, in other words. And this is one way that your faith is proven out. It is, is that when, when persecution comes, when trials come, when suffering comes, when your adversaries afflict you, that rather than being terrified, or distraught, or cast down, that you're able to continue on in joy? Why is that evidence that you are a child of God? Well, think of it this way. The, the end of the verse says, but to you of salvation and that of God. Your salvation was not something you could do for yourself. You could not save yourself, right? Right? Your works cannot save you. Your religion can't save you. No ritual will save you. Salvation is by the grace of God alone. It is a gift of God given to you. It is of God. And in the same way, this characteristic, pressing on without fear, but in joy, in the face of adversity, this is not something that comes natural to us in the flesh. This is not something uh, that we're able to just muster up within ourselves and, and, and take courage and take heart. This is the work of God in our lives. It is of God. It is the grace of God that enables us to have joy in the midst of our trials. It is an evident token of salvation. So we see the perseverance in suffering and the proof of suffering... But thirdly, I want to talk to you about this, and this is going to seem so strange probably to us. I want to talk to you about the privilege of suffering. The privilege of suffering. Because look what he says in verse number 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So he says, okay salvation is a gift of God, right? It's not of ourselves. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. And in the same way that it is given to you of God to believe on Him, it is given unto you not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. What is He saying here? I want you to hear this loud and clear. To suffer for Christ is a gift of God. To suffer for Christ is a gift of God. Now, it's not a gift that we go looking for. (laughs) And it's not one that we are real excited about embracing. But I want you to know that it is a privilege to be counted worthy to identify with our Savior in this way, that as the world hated him, so it will hate us. That we as his disciples would so identify with Christ and our lives would so reflect Christ that in the same way that that the world rejected Jesus because he was the light that, that that was revealing their darkness, that they would so reject us because we are light in a dark world. That's a privilege... Acts chapter 5, we find the apostles had been warned and they had even been beaten. And in verse 41, it says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer, suffer shame for his name. That was the response of the apostles when they faced persecution. Literal, physical persecution. They left rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus. Now let me ask you this, Christian friend. Are we there? Are we willing to say, Lord, I so want to know You and I want to be like You that I am willing to walk in the steps that You walked? In the same way that You took up Your cross to die for my sins... I'm willing to take up my cross to live for your glory. Paul said it this way in chapter 3 of this book. He said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Are you there? Are you willing to say, Lord, I love You and I so want to be like You that I am willing... To face what you faced rejection and ridicule and hatred for the name of Christ. Hold your place in Philippians. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number five. I'm sorry, not Hebrews, James. James, chapter five. And I want to show you what the Bible says here in the book of James about persecution. And suffering for Christ's sake. It says in James chapter 5 and verse number 10. Take my brethren the prophets. Who have spoken in the name of the Lord. For an example of suffering. Affliction. And of patience. Behold. We count them happy. Which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful. And of tender mercy what's he saying he said we count them happy we we count them to be rejoicing why because they had the privilege of suffering for the glory of God again this seems so foreign to us who are so used to a life of comfort and ease that we would resist any hardship listen We have a tendency, and I include myself in this because I know that I'm susceptible to this too. We have a tendency to kind of try to be the the chameleon that blends into where we are so as to choose the path of least resistance. Have you ever done that before? Maybe in your workplace? Someone is making jokes that they shouldn't make, using language they shouldn't use, talking about the Lord in a blasphemous way. And it's not just that you don't speak up, but you just kind of go along with it because I don't want to ruffle feathers. Or maybe you know you ought to witness to someone, but you're afraid to do so. Because you don't want the awkward conversation or the potential for the awkwardness in the relationship later. And so you hold back and you... I, listen, I've done that, that so many times. I, I wish that I could say that it's not been true of me, but it has too many times that I have lacked boldness for Christ. Not not because I was afraid of consequences coming my way, Not because I was afraid of persecution or putting myself in danger or harm. I just didn't want the discomfort associated with speaking up and speaking truth. You ever been there? But folks, listen, we're called not, not only to be willing to face some discomfort, some awkwardness. We're called to be willing to suffer. Listen, we are ambassadors for Christ's sake. James said we, we count them happy. We consider them to be joyful who endure these things because it's been given to them in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. One more place I want to show you in Scripture this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, if you'd go there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul uses himself here as an example. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse number 8, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. I want you to look down to verse number 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Listen to this. For our light affliction, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What's he saying here? We're, we are persecuted. We're being delivered unto death. This is coming from a man who'd been in prison, and he had been beaten, and he had faced shipwreck. And, and, and had been stoned. Uh, this, uh, this was coming from a man who had been falsely accused of all kinds of things, and he, he literally said, I die daily. I'm always delivered unto death. And then he talks about all this affliction, and he says, our light affliction. How is that light affliction, Paul? That's That's everything. Your own life, your own neck is on the line. How can you call that light affliction? Well, a couple of things. First of all, he says, which is but for a moment. This is temporary. Whatever you face in this life, it is temporary. Now, some things are a little more temporary than others. But whatever it is, it's temporary. And he says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He said, I know that whatever I'm facing here in this life is nothing compared to the reward that I am going to receive when I meet my Savior. And that which is in heaven with him is eternal. Notice what he says in verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Friend, it would be wise for every child of God in this room to understand that everything that is seen in your life as a reality today will eventually go away. This life is temporary. Your possessions are temporary. Your status socially, economically, it's temporary. Your position, your reputation, it's temporary. Even your relationships, your family here on this earth, did you know it's temporary? Married couples, did you know that that relationship is temporary? You say, oh, no, 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 we're, we're, we're married forever. No, you're married till death do you part. And then, then it's over. Everything in this life is temporary. But the things which we cannot see, those are eternal. God wants us to set our affection on things above, not on things in the earth. And I can't help but think that the reason that so often we do fear suffering, the reason that we don't embrace our cross, the reason that we're not willing to pay a price, is because we have set our affection on things on the earth. We are consumed with this life. And the worst thing that could possibly happen to us is that we would lose this life. But the things which we see are temporary. We ought to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth, because the things which are not seen, those are eternal things. And Jesus said that we're not to lay up for ourselves treasures upon earth, but we're to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, in that which is eternal. famous quote by a famous missionary is, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about that. We hold on to so tightly the things that we're going to lose and ignore that which we cannot lose. So here's the question this morning, child of God, are you committed to being a disciple of Christ, regardless of the cost associated with it? In nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Are you committed to saying, Lord, I'm willing to follow you regardless of what it costs me and I will press on with joy because I know that what I'm living for is more real than anything this world has to offer. Are you willing to endure by God's grace with joy? It's possible through the grace of God. Or Let me ask this, is it possible that in this room today there are some who, for whatever reason, have made a decision only for your own purposes. I'm going to become a believer in Christ. I'm going to get saved so that I don't have to go to hell, so that I can be forgiven forgiven of my sins, but you've never truly said to the Lord, I'm willing to be your disciple. I want to take up my cross and follow you. Maybe there are some here who you've never been saved. You have never realized your sinful condition before God. And that you because of your sin, are in bondage to sin and on the road to destruction and death and hell. But friend, Jesus is the only way of salvation. You can be saved today if you will turn from your sin to Jesus and place your faith in Him. You can be delivered from the bondage of sin. By receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. Salvation is a free gift. But I hope that you'll embrace it knowing that to live a life pleasing to the Lord. There is cost associated with that. When you receive the free gift of salvation, you're signing up. For a life of discipleship. Following the Lord. And friend, it may not always be easy. And there may be challenges. But you can press on with joy knowing that God is always true and always faithful and He's that solid rock on which we can stand. Let's stand together.